Radio Show, your home for car talk covering the latest news to the greatest views on the biggest names in performance, sports, and just plain cool driving machines. Let's rev up the conversation. Time for Driven Radio Show. Hey, all you gearheads and car fiends, welcome to Driven Radio Show, your weekly automotive happy hour. I am Brett Hatfield, here with my co-host and engineer extraordinaire, Mr. Mark Groves. Yo! We are coming to you from Driven Radio Studios, the new Driven Radio Studios, mm. where I tried to hang up curtains today <laughs> with, without any hardware, Fail. not knowing it. Yeah, well, all this crap came down out of the old studio, and we brought it over here, or so I thought. Yeah. I'm up on a ladder, I'm going, okay. Where's the bracket? Oh, uh, what bracket would that be, sir? It is safely packed. Uh huh. Somewhere, somewhere, <laughs> we'll find it as probably about the same time we find my Christmas socks. Probably in the same box, most likely. Uh-huh. Our special guest this week is Jonathan Ward, yeah! the creative wizard behind the stunning creations of Icon Four x Four, featuring reimagined builds of first-generation Broncos and early Toyota FJs, and the Thriftmaster series of 1947 to 53 Chevrolet 3100 three and five window pickups called the Icon TR. Icon also build the derelict and reformer series of cars, which have a major patina, barden find, romantic vintage vibe, with hidden or disguised modern engineering to transcend and evolve that vehicle for use in the modern world. Truly a renaissance man, Jonathan Ward oh God, is yeah. a painter, sculptor, carpenter, welder, and perfectionist, and we found out now he's uh, making guitar parts. How about that? <laughs> Jonathan, welcome back to Driven Radio. Thank you, gentlemen. Nice to be here again. You know, it's been over two and a half years. That's weird. That just seems too too long. Two and a half years since last we talked. How has life been treating you? Pretty good. I thought it was pre-COVID. I thought it was even longer. No, it was uh, it was October of twenty twenty. Yeah. Oh, it was okay. it was October. Right in the it thick of it, it yeah. was during COVID. We uh, we noticed at that time you seemed to be. Uh, inoculating yourself through some kind of clear liquid on ice. It looked like you were entertaining, enjoying that greatly. Oh, look, he's still keeping oh, there it. His, is. See? He, he's, he, and, uh, I mean, to be clear, you know, it's after five. He and, might uh, even have a little lime in there because you want to, you, you don't want to get the scurvy. Now, is that the, nah, is, yeah, actually, I love the scurvy history, but, um, <laughs> No, um, Madre Mescal's my go-to. Oh, in my buddy's brand, really, really yummy mescal. Nice, lovely, scurvy oh, with. A, I I can see him making uh, <laughs> modified uh, wagons there, scurvy with a fringe on top. <laughs> hey, uh. <laughs> for those who don't know your work, please describe what it is you do and uh, what services does Icon offer. Well. According to many, I do it all wrong. So I have no regard for tradition or purist or concourse spec of, you know, repeating the errors or shortcomings of the past for the sake of authenticity, meaning, you know, primer over spray and chalk marks on the chassis. And I have zero patience for three on the tree and drum brakes and carburetors and the like. (laughs) But I have a deep love and passion for vintage transportation design or actually vintage design almost across the board the time before focus groups ruined everything and wall street shareholder values 
became more important than design for the sake of design and continuity. So we basically take vintage vehicles, generally from the 30s to the 70s. We try to stay very respectful of the traditional aesthetic and principle of its function, but then seek to evolve the experience for modern day use, meaning fuel injection, usually full emissions, Brembo brakes, rack and pinion steering, coilover suspension, no horse and buggy leaf springs, none of that. And then I like to look at the history of a particular vehicle and understand what the original designer really, really, really wanted to do. But then the pencil busher said, hell no, you can't do that. Use this part because we already paid for it for the Falcon or the F-100 or whatever the platform might be. And in rare cases, I'm able to get to the actual manufacturer's archive museum and gain access to those original sketches and use those as the root of my inspiration to redesign and evolve and elevate the details. Usually I'm not. So I kind of play revisionist historian and make up a narrative and put myself in the shoes of, let's say, uh, Mies van der Rohe or some designer appropriate to the era of the car that, you know, maybe even had nothing to do with transportation design. But I'm very tactile. So I hate plastic. So I like to sort of increase the honesty of the details in a vehicle. Um, But like, not the way it was done before I came up with my stupid idea, meaning what I call Johnny Cash cars, where it's bits and pieces and parts from different years and models. And you buy a front clip from this and a disc brake kit from that and a power steering kit from that. At the end of the day, you're still constricted because there's no continuity. Everything's not fully engineered together. It's different people's established norms of what's acceptable in solutions to evolve. So the idea behind Icon was, no, let's start over. Let's scan the vehicle, convert the poly data into surface data, and let's take responsibility for the content and the design from everything you touched, everything you experienced mechanically from the ground up in chorus, which really results in, um, I like to think, uh, a greatly evolved experience that is not uh, really achievable by the conventional approach as such. It'd be like if Elon Musk, you know, uh, rebuilt uh, Johnny Rocket's rocket ship, you know, uh, but put all Musk's ideas inside of it. So uh, I kind of want to see that now. I love, uh, you know, when we very first talked to you, it was th- I, I stumbled across Derelict and I'm like, what the? Oh, my God, what is this? And, I, and all I did was drool for about 10 minutes until I could click the mouse again and uh, was absolutely um, in love. And I also was intrigued because you were taking these uh, a lot of cars, the, the kind of, you know, post-war pre-50s cars that had no love. And, yeah. uh, and I love the bastards and orphans. Oh, yeah. These things, some of them, you know, they're not the classic shapes. You always end up seeing them uh, like with a chop top and then they, they've got to put a bunch of fiberglass and crap on it. And right, it, but leave it alone. Yeah. Gorgeous. Yeah. Gorgeous. And then As you, it was. 
you save the bodies and then you put those like alligator leather interiors and and yeah and uh, and I know this is in in some circles a verboten and a, and a reason to crucify, but you uh you put these just killer electric motors in them that made them just sing. And uh, and it, it not, I'm not trying to blow smoke up your tuckus right now. It's just uh, uh, no, please do. Please yeah. do. No, my wife stopped doing that about 20 years ago. Yeah, so but it makes I your enjoy. eyes bug, and it just really bothers me. So um, the <laughs> uh, the vehicles, it it makes you want to drive them. It makes yeah, you want to get in. You nailed it. That's the entire point. I, I wanted I want to allow people the opportunity to be divorced from the martyrdom of vintage, while you know, they're time machines. So when you hop in them, you immediately emotionally are in a different environment. It changes your head space. Yeah. So from the playlist you listen to in an icon versus what you listen to in your whatever, like modern soulless luxury <laughs> or, or whatever vehicle, it, it, it emotionally puts you in a different place. And I wanted to to, to, to really get away from the constrictions of classics, especially, look, realistically today in traffic, everyone's got their head up their ass. So they're texting, uh, the car is self-driving, they're barely paying attention. The last thing you can expect is for them to give you the consideration to go, hey, hey uh, you know, uh, wait, he has drum brakes. It's going to take him a while to stop, so I better not answer that text right now. So, I mean, that, that reality has gone. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's always been cool, and, and you know, to have a, a classic that you get to enjoy. But, but you put barriers up, right? You're like, okay, it's my Sunday cruise. I'll only go here or there with it. I can't commute in it. Yeah. And my thinking was always, well, why – why the hell not? Like, just give it those performance and the perversions of modernity of power windows and heated seats and Bluetooth and high-end audio or whatever to really upcycle them into something that is far more usable without having to put it in a really little box. And it's so much nicer than, like, some of the upcycling you see in, in the places around here where they take an old dresser and paint it spackled gold. And they call yeah. it new. And I'm like, no, you're just set it on fire now. <laughs> yeah. Well, like Henry Ford said, there's an ass for every seat, but my ass ain't going in that seat either. I'm with you. I'm I'm willing to go halfway there with you, Jonathan. Um I daily a Which 60, half? Uh, I daily a sixty five stingray ragtop. So are you the martyr dude who's like cool with all the vintage and that's part of the charm for you. Yep. Or do you find yourself, you are okay. And I get that. Yeah. I'm, there, there's I'm a fine person and a time place for that. Although mine's, mine's rare in that it's got power steering and brakes, but it's a 327, 350 horse, four speed side pipes, knockoff wheels. And cool. it's Nassau blue. And I just think that's the pinnacle of cool. But that's what about the, Vlad? Yeah. Best color. Well, uh, Vlad was also halfway there. It was still a 409 with dual quads and a close ratio four-speed. He's talking about a 61 Impala. 61 Impala bubble top hot rod that I sold a couple years ago. Uh, I love bubble tops. I'm dying to do a bubble top. I've yet to have the opportunity to do one. But riddle me this, like dual quads. Okay, sounds nifty. How often are you retuning and balancing those buckets? They stayed in tune pretty well. It was an Edelbrock setup. Uh, the car was originally a 283 with a power glide. Um, the guy who had it before me had 
done custom paint in a 409 and dual quads in the four speed. And the four speed didn't really fit in that transmission tunnel and there were clearance issues. And, you know, it was a hot rod. You were always futzing with something. Now, yeah. the fun thing with that car is you stuck your foot in it and it flew. It would absolutely move out uh, way better than a car with just front discs on it. You should. Uh, and there were a couple panic moments in that. <laughs> was, yeah, really change the way your underwear fit. And uh, also, when you stuck your foot in it, this is kind of like the old joke. You could watch the gas gauge move. That was not crap. You could watch the gas gauge go down. Or as my buddy Chris uh, Chris DeGanchi likes to joke, you had to shut the car off to let the gas pump catch up. <laughs> <laughs> so we uh, we got through half of that question. What services do you offer? You know, do you do, you do like uh, customs for people? Yeah. So, you know, as you had mentioned in the intro, we, we have our production models based on the first gen Toyota Land Cruisers four body styles, two design packages. Same with the first-gen Ford Broncos, one body style, tons of options, and two design packages. And then the three-window and five-window Chevy. Then you get into the one-offs, the freaks and geeks, the derelicts and the reformers, which sky's the limit. Uh, but they're horribly inefficient and take forever and cost a pretty penny to do because of those inefficiencies. I, I mean... We don't do like if you want power steering added to your ride or you want a paint job or you want a custom interior that's evolved. Unfortunately, we don't really have the bandwidth for that. And I think from a branding perspective, we really focus on being those instances where we're given full control in, you know, in concert with our commissioning clients but to just completely reimagine the vehicle from the ground. We sell some parts, but it's never been a big thing. I was on the design advisory team for Ford for the last seven years oh, wow. for the new Ford Bronco. So I developed a bunch of accessories and aftermarket parts for that. Thinking about doing more, but you know, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm not a parts selling guy. And I think I've come to the quick reality, like, you need someone on staff who does just that, only that, all day, and that keep pimping and promoting. Just out of curiosity, was was that uh, rail that goes above the uh, dashboard where you can attach, you know, your various device devices, etc. Uh, was that your idea, perchance? Yeah, mine and others. Uh, there were several of us that were like, OEMs, contemporary off-road cars need to be more receptive to the way people use the vehicles and want to share that experience. So the final execution, like the little nuts are kind of cheesy and it blows out, in my humble opinion. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I, I also worked with Toyota on the FJ Cruiser. But I found really by the time the FJ Cruiser made it through Calti, which is their California design studio and focus groups and all the usual things, Oh. Very, very, very little. Like literally the three windshield wipers and the oval headlight bezel is about all that made it to production that was my input. Versus with the Bronco, I'm really proud of the entire team because so much of what us, you know, it's very rare for any OEM to invite outsiders into the kitchen. Yeah. So the, the crew that was involved, we were a bit disruptive. Uh, and I'm sure... I know, quite annoying in some cases, 
but so much of what we brought to their attention made it through to production. I, I have the 16th uh, Bronco two-door made, and uh, I love it. Beat the piss out of it routinely, and um, it was a really fun fun project to be involved in. Nice. So you've mentioned both uh, the derelict and reformer lines. Can you elaborate on those a little bit? What is a derelict versus what is a reformer and an example or two of each? So both share the same mechanical premise of significantly evolving it from the chassis on up. Uh, Powertrain, uh, wire harness built to mil spec aerospace components, yada, yada, yada. So the, the, the modernization is consistent between the two. With a derelict, though, we, I, I'm a big fan of the Japanese wabi-sabi ethic. So like time-earned natural finishes that are irrepeatable and only time can add value to them and change them. So I seek to find original paint, vintage cars that have no corrosion, but epic sun-baked burnt patina and finishes. So you're so, probably finding most of those Southern California and Arizona, I would guess. Yeah, I mean, it's a wider net, you know, Texas, uh, Nebraska, Oklahoma, Michigan. You know, Basically Southwest <laughs> in general. Oddly enough, if, if it's in certain microclimates, the Pacific Northwest seems to have a lot of patina-based loveliness in its environment, as long as it's not salted up and screwed up. Yeah. So what um, is a reformer versus a derelict? So the derelict, the outside, will keep the original paint, the chrome, the trim, everything. All glass will be new. The body will be forensically disassembled. The underside will be silica blasted, raw metal, etched, primed, polyurea coated, sealed, etc., soundproofed. And then the interior will go off on, uh, generally in a period-specific aesthetic, but using materials that were impossible for the original manufacturer to do, be it yeah. Laura Piana cashmere headliner <laughs> that looks like the old boiled wool that the OEM used, but when you touch it, it takes you to another planet of happiness and tactile joy. And then, you know, wild-caught hand-dyed alligator, goat gut stitched, or veg tan leathers that I'll process myself, stuff like that. Um, versus a reformer, concourse, perfect, anal retentively restored in high detail, but reimagined. So, um, Let's say you ask for examples. So derelict uh, 51 Chevy style line coupe from an Air Force base, abandoned on the base because the gentleman went overseas, fight Korean War, never made it home. Oh, wow. It sat there, no one knew what's up or whose it was. Eventually, the family claimed ownership of it, recovered it. I bought it from them. Uh, versus a reformer. Uh, right now, we're doing a three-door suburban. You know, familiar with those? Yeah. Like a weird transition model. Late sixties, so, early seventies. Uh, yeah, I think ours. I forget. I think it's seventy or sixty-nine. But with that, first of all, three doors is stupid. 
it was a rare moment of GM actually respecting intellectual property because at the time, International Harvester actually owned the trade dress rights to a four-door sport utility vehicle. And instead of just tromping on their intellectual property, GM decided, okay, that's cool. We'll fight that. We'll win that. Next model, we'll do four-door. For now, we'll do a three-door and say it's for safety for the family. Mm -hmm. So they're always exiting on the curbside, which I think is such a cool story. And I didn't even know that story until I got into building the car. Someone smarter than me shared it with me. But <laughs> So we handcrafted a fourth rear door on the driver's side. We crafted a four-wheel independent suspension chassis with a Dana Nodular 60 in the rear. Massive, absurd hydro-boosted Brembo brakes, a Tom Nelson 1300 horsepower and torque pump gas idles at 850 with the AC on and traffic dark block 692 with an absurd (laughs) custom-built Bowler Trans to handle all of that. Rack and pinion steering, and then cosmetically, the client who commissioned it, his dad worked on the GM, or no, grandfather, some relative, close relative. Uh, worked on the production line when those were new. So we added his initial just to the push button on the driver's door handle. And then the clients built several cars with us and kind of gives me a wide berth. Although it's interesting, he pushes me into comfort zones that are outside of my comfort zone. So this car is a bit more pro touring, pro street than I traditionally would do. But I love the client and I love the challenge. Yeah. And I love the freedom he gives me. So I thought, all right, late 60s, early 70s, the interior is crap. It's all vinyl and plastic and dielectric stamped mylar. The shape is cool, but like the grill is like ting, 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 chintzy. Oh, yeah. Like those the, the the economies of large automotive manufacturing of that time. So I thought, all right, well, I've always been a big Mies van der Rohe fan. And when it came to furniture, audio equipment, uh, architecture, mostly commercial buildings, he defined that era, in, in my opinion. So great opportunity, add to my library, start buying all of the industrial design year and review books for 69, 70, 71, 72. And all the Van der Rohe history books that I could find to really dive into and further educate myself in ludicrous detail on his work. <laughs> then comes the fun part where I go, okay, revisionist historian. I'm going to put myself in the theoretical shoes of Van der Rohe. Had he been at GM and worked on this, what would he have done with the door handles, the typography and font? With every knob, with the IP, the glove box door, the gauge design, the front grill, the bumpers, like everything. And I redesigned one of one just for that vehicle. Everything from the type, the font language is one of one for that vehicle and consistent on everything. And like the grill is absurd. It's a one piece, 36 hours and five axis machining time. It's a one-piece machined billet grill with a, a return draw of about six inches that, if you see it, it, it mirrors Van der Rohe's 
architectural approach. Well, yeah. So it's like history remixed and evolved as I'm a reformer versus a derelict is much more sensitive to it. Like if you see it parked, unless you know what a ZR tire and notice the REMs are, you wonder if it's abandoned or if it can even drive. And then it's balls out, yeehaw, let's go, like cross-country tour. Well, I'm looking at one of them uh, online right now, which, of course, drew my eye. It, uh, it's your uh, 51 Chrysler wagon. Yeah, and I own that one. That's my personal one. That's oh, what actually God. started the whole program because it wasn't some, like, again, with my love for focus groups, it wasn't like some marketing company telling me, oh, here's what you should do next for people. <laughs> it was me going, okay, I have two young sons. I have four dogs. I like to surf. My kids go to skate parks. We go to swap meets and vintage meets and stuff. I am so tired of parking in the way back away, <laughs> hoping no one will ding it or scratch it and being such a princess and nothing stays perfect Yeah, if you're going to actually use it. So I said, you know what the hell with all that? I dig patina. How about I find something that's like cool and it's got some charm and then just geek out on the mechanical and the interior and party on. It wasn't until it was done and it won a couple of awards and ended up on the cover of Hot Rod Mag that my dumbass went, oh, well, shit, I guess it's still Icon because it's traditional transportation revisited in a modern context. So, uh, yeah, then I decided to call them derelicts and we started taking orders. Speaking of derelicts and looking through all of your, your online presence and your social media stuff, uh, you cannot ignore the 300 SEL derelict yeah. build that you... That one pissed off a lot of purists, uh, which means I did it right. Not do you me, wanna, brother. Do you want to hear why? Do you want to hear why it pissed him off? Hang on Please. for a second. This is what it sounds like. the number of times i've answered the same questions on that on different platforms i'm not you put an amg yeah i'm not answering i'll tell you what jonathan i'm not going to ask you a single question about that car tell us about it just beginning to end soup to nuts tell us about the car talk slowly uh, how the project started and where you went with it wonderful client the Red Pig, which was a famous old AMG built rally yeah. car back in the day, yeah. based on the same platform. He said, Dang, that's cool. Lives in Oklahoma. Because I don't want it to be that in your face. And I don't want it to be that racy, racy. I want it to be daily driver. But I've, I don't want anything to do with the vintage mechanical. And what can we do? So we found an original family-owned example with great light patina, no rust whatsoever. There's a beautifully built into it. Like, tell you, when you take apart different cars all the way down to nothing and put them back together again, you get a really intimate understanding of the priorities of the manufacturer in that particular time and company. So impressed with the quality of that car. So we cut out the entire floor from trunk to firewall. Handcrafted all of that from scratch. We did uh, very heavy-duty Art Morrison, one-of-one chassis with four-wheel independent suspension, but with the rails bent the hard way, so the scrub line was clean and we could get the stance the client desired. 
we one-off machined wheels that were based on a laser scan of the stock hubcap, but then tolerated our massive six-pot Brembos, etc. cetera. Uh, what offended most people is we ran a dry sump intercooled supercharged LS9, which is personally <laughs> one of my all-time favorite engines. I'm sad they are gone. That's the one that uh, came I, out I, of the Corvette ZR1, Mark. So, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm digging it. I'm all in. <laughs> And the LT1 and LT4, they're just not built to the same. They didn't let the engineers geek out to find the standards. Now it's like, okay, no, we need to meet, meet or beat the horsepower it had at this price point. So it's not the hand-built incredible motor um, that the LS9 was. Um, but, you know, the reality is certainly I'd love to do an AMG. In fact, many years, not many years, maybe six years ago, Mercedes approached me to do a derelict uh, Aldenauer, which is the 300, uh, 1959 300 series, beautiful four-door, um, for them to use to be like a disruptor at trade shows and events. Globally. They shipped me a bi-turbo. I had it in the shop along with the tranny for it. They promised me and Jay Leno, who had uh, a 300 SEL coincidentally, that he was going to put it in that they'd give us all the backdoor support we needed for the CAN bus engineering to trick the engine into thinking it's still on its native platform. Unfortunately, due to uh, some very colorful stories that I'll save for uh, autobiography <laughs> one day, most of that team at Mercedes got canned and shown the door quite promptly. And then the new dudes came who were very by the book and quite Germanic said, we're going to do what? Mm -hmm. And they told Jay and I to take a hike, which meant wow. now we're looking at race-based harnesses and ECUs. Wide open throttle, idle, start-stop. That's it. You lose all the refinement that makes that motor so exceptional and noteworthy in the first place. So what's the point? Also, when's the last time you saw, like, a V12 600 series Mercedes sedan of 20 years of age on the road. The attrition rate's about 99%. Yeah. And I really try and build stuff that's going to last. So the LS9, everyone puts them where they don't belong. So all the solutions <laughs> yep. and components and alternate fiads and programs and everything, every little trinket and part, I'm pretty well assured will be available into the near distant future. So that's why you damn purist or quasi purist. <laughs> but that car was so incredible. Like we even used the original German leather, which is quite unique, but re-sculpted the seats. We, re we 3D printed the armrest to comply with our console because we love the design language of the stock console and the tactile of the shifter, the spring action little ball shift is so cool. But, you know, obviously we're putting in a tranny with many more speeds. So that car was in running condition when we bought it, which is ideal, right? Because then I get what I call asometer timing. Mm -hmm. So I'll drive it around for a while and I'll literally keep a notepad old school in the car. We can curse liberally, right? Yeah, absolutely. So hell yes and fuck no's. <laughs> so hell yes were the things that we knew I understood that we must maintain in our redesign, which would consist of everything from the, the stock dash is breathtaking. 
all the woodwork and stainless, just gorgeous. I'm looking at it right now. It is beautiful and legible. Beautiful. So I screwed with it. I simplified it. I simplified it. Simplified it. <laughs> yes, you. I, I tried to basically it. take the take the purity of the original language, but I needed less controls because of my modern electronics. So I actually removed components from it and tried to enhance the flow of the original design. But like the console, the shifter, shifters kick ass. So that was a fuck yeah. We took the actual shifter body, the mechanism, the spring, the stainless shaft, and the ball, but then we re-engineered the entire console in the original design language. We SLA 3D printed it and vacuum wrapped it in the original Mercedes material. But we added USB high-speed power ports. We machined the shifter body in aluminum and chromed it to house the additional gears we require. While we're at it, we're like, well, you can't see what gear you're in at night. Let's do a diffusion lens with a gel with an indirect LED source so it lights up very subtly to show you what gear you're in. And we had a cup holders. We moved the parking brake from the floor actuated to the console, but very sensitive to the original aesthetics. That project, one of my all-time favorites, and just an absolute hoot to drop. <laughs> I didn't get to see the end of the video. Uh, you were headed out to the desert to see how this thing would run. And yeah. Uh, did you get close to uh, what you were thinking? You were talking about a four and a half zero to sixty, and uh, yes, a, a sub fourteen quarter. Yeah, yeah, we came in at about four point four zero to sixty. Um, personally, I saw the speedometer hit one hundred and thirty five in pure <laughs> comfort and bliss. Um, Jay Leno took it and railed on it, and he's a picky bugger. If you ever dealt with Jay. And, he came away, even though he owns a dead stock one, believing it's his all-time favorite of any project I've built. And he's built, he's driven at least 10 of my rides. Nice. It's, it's one I'm very proud of. Came out beautiful. Beautiful. Uh, I think it was outstanding. I love the aesthetic because it does look like it's spent a little time in the sun. Yeah, it's got a little sunbake on it. But I did also, you catch the badge on the trunk? I did not. So we we machined the badge on the trunk in the stock design faceted font. You know, factory was 6.3. Mm -hmm. In reality, our engine was 6.2. Yeah. <laughs> so we, we machined that in aluminum and then hockey pucked it around the concrete floor in the parking lot <laughs> and then acid etched it a bit and patinaed it. And like, I think one in a hundred will even notice it. But it was just one of those like, okay, they don't notice. That's cool. But we know. Like Same with like I, I took scraps of the original upholstery and hand-stitched and designed uh, all German tools inside. But, of course, uh, a little tool roll in the trunk on the false firewall for the client that's made out of the original seat upholstery. It's all those little things that yeah. really no one needs what I do. So if we're going to do it, let's be artisanal about it. Let's think about every little stupid thing we can think of. Well, that was one of the fun things uh, before we started recording, as Brett and I were chatting, one of the things that we commented on as looking, you know, all across your site was, look at all these things. He's not, he's just building whatever the hell he wants. Yeah. And it's cool. That's what makes it so fun is uh, uh, the surprises that you stumble across. And now you're telling about Easter eggs. Pretty cool. 
Well, and and we're going to talk a little bit more about that in a, in a few minutes. But you started out doing for, uh, first or early Toyota Land Cruiser builds. In fact, your first company was called TLC. But your first build non-Land Cruiser was a first-gen Ford Bronco. And you're still building those. And there are other companies that do that, too. What sets an Icon build apart from some others that are doing it? Uh, how do I answer that without talking shit? Um, there, there are wonderful companies and individuals running those companies that were around before we were around that pretty much did them stock, plus or minus a break upgrade or suspension and geek out a little on the upholstery. And those, those are great. And, and they meet a market and a need. Then we came along with my stupid ideas, which was actually specific to the Bronco, was really put into motion by I probably the, the top two requests for us to build that we didn't offer at the time were Land Rover Defenders and Ford Broncos. The Defender is a bucket of shit that people just love. They're gorgeous. I get it. But there's just zero quality in the execution. And we, we handled two. And if I did any more... I think there'd be total mutiny on my team. <laughs> However, with the Bronco, you know, there, there's such a passion behind them. And even before the public was aware that Ford was going to really bring it back in earnest, make it, make it a significant effort. Jim Farley, who was the CEO of Ford at the time, he and I had become friendly and worked very well together at Toyota. When I was asked, to build the FG Cruiser pre-production prototypes. So Ford poached Jim. Once Jim was at Ford and became CEO, he reached out and he sent me an email and he said, hey, what do you think about, would you build us a first-gen Ford Bronco for like SEMA and the car shows? We want to make sure to keep it alive in modern culture because we're bringing it back. To which I replied, hell yes. However, I don't want to bring... I don't want to build like a typical SEMA bling bling. I want to engineer the piss out of it. So I'll build it for you. I won't charge you for it, but I require a little bit of support. So I had a short list of support that I re requested from Ford. And then Nike at the time, the CEO had recently asked me if I ever had an advanced design project that I could take from a sketch physical done within 12 months. He wanted me to reach out because their highly skilled team of designers and engineers and material experts and machinists in what they call the kitchen, their sort of secret warehouse, they have significant attrition there because so much of what they do is DARPA or future product planning that never makes it to light. Oh. And, you know, as creators, that after a while, that's going to kill you. If, if what you design and envision and put your heart and soul into either A, never gets materialized, or worse yet, goes through focus groups and gets watered down and loses all of its distinction. True. Anyway, market at Nike thought it would be really good for them culturally. So I took Farley's request. I went to Mark. I got Nike involved, and we developed uh, the Icon Bronco. And I love them to this day. It's, it's a very popular model. Obviously, with the success of the new launch, Demand is outstripped our ability to supply. So there's like a two and a half year wait list for them. Great problem to have. <laughs> How long ago it was that first It isn't because 
my wait list and, and my OCD of really trying to make everything <laughs> very honest to my founding origins of icon means I refuse to cut corners and expedite, yeah. which in turn means a lot of people have entered the Bronco rest of mod market and gone, hmm, damn, icon gets how much and people wait how long? Oh. Well, I can knock out some that looks like that and, you know, half the time for 50 grand less. And it's created a lot of brands. Yeah. Yeah, just spin they it come up. and they go. Some of them now charge more than what we charge. And I've driven their rides and I have clients that have had them and gotten rid of them and then ordered ours. And <laughs> I, I don't get it, but you know, whatever, free enterprise. Yeah. Well, and TLC, by the way, my founding company relocated now to um, Charlotte, North Carolina. Nice. The in house paint and powder coat and upholstery, like things I could never get away with in California. And Daniel and a wonderful team of guys are running it, and uh, they're really scaling it. I'm, I'm really happy to see that. I was worried about that. We know because it was hard for us. We were running two religions in one church, and, and beyond uh, beyond a certain amount of time and attention, I realized I, one was going to suffer. And Icon personally is a lot more fulfilling because being the serial craftsman that I am and designer, uh, it's a lot more fun because I get to. Yeah. be a, a lot more free form uh, from platform to platform to material to design perspective on and on and on. It's, it's my happy place. How have the Bronco builds uh, evolved over time? Um, I think it's reflective to how the entire icon brand has uh, evolved. So initially I created what we now call the new school design package, but it's actually the old school because it was the original design package because I felt my engineering approach to what we were doing was so novel that if I didn't create a unique aesthetic, people wouldn't stop, breathe, digest, and understand how revolutionary what we were doing was. So I created this sort of technical industrial design language, um, which really helped define the brand. But at the same time, as a fan of vintage, I wanted to play with more retro as far as like color and material. And I also was seeing that a lot of our modern customers would give us the only negative feedback we would get is, you know, I bought this to blend in with a locale. <laughs> so, you know, to sort of be under the radar. But every time I stop for gas, I end up in a 10, 20-minute conversation with somebody because they call me out and they want to see it and geek out on all the details. So then I also wanted – it's a big sausage party. It's all dudes. <laughs> and I wanted to invite uh, the, the ladies to Icon. So then with all those factors considered, I came up with the old school design package, which we now offer uh, across the board on Thriftmasters, Broncos, and FJs. And um, they've been wildly successful. And those are a little more lighthearted, a little more under the radar, a little more approachable. Like, let's say a new school is like, you've got a beautiful, friendly pit bull. So people come up and they want to pet them, but they stop about four feet away and they're not sure how to approach versus an old school's like having a chocolate lap. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. There, there's none of that sort of uh, 
back off since. People want to come right up and pet it. Is there any such thing as an average Bronco or derelict or reformer build? Well, Bronco, we could argue Bronco FJ, TR. Well, no, Bronco FJ, we could argue, yes, kind of, sort of. Uh, derelict and reformer, hell no. It's all over the they're, spectrum. They're it can bespoke. be from a Rolls Royce to a C10. Like, it's literally all over the map. TRs generally, um, I mean, one might have black chrome and have like a murdered out aesthetic. The next might be a derelict. The next may be uh, old school with a vintage vibe and color and distressed leather. Broncos and FJs, un- I guess, unfortunately, like, Responding to back in the day when we used to advertise and when we launched, we pioneered this Teflon polyester hybrid satin charcoal finish. And people kept ordering that. Like, oh, one just like that one, just like that one. Which was part of the initiative for me, incentive for my initiative to introduce old schools. Like, dude, like, come on, I've got 12 colors in the powder coat line only and then like umpty custom paint choices like let's do something different so more and more it's uh it's a monarchy under the thin veneer of a democracy <laughs> in that if a client comes to me and they want something like number such and such i i never repeat so i i really e- even when they want the charcoal satin bronco or fj I've never built two that are the same. I literally have a uh, software that keeps me within those boundaries. So I'm like, nah, can't do that. Already done, did that. So now that means I've done 30 different silvers and 30 different charcoals, mind you, but never exactly the same. You've got a section on your website called Available Projects, and there's... Mm -hmm. A lot of different stuff in that uh, in that tab. Tell us a little bit about what those are and what would you most like to build out of those? It's just stupid shit that I like. <laughs> and I have a network of hunters who uh, we will put out an APB when we're hunting for a specific car. Plus, they know I'm always hunting for the Broncos, the Thriftmasters, and the FJ. And occasionally they know my taste and they'll just lob stuff at me, which occasionally perverts me into going, dang, that's cool. And talking my wife into letting me buy it, we put it in the lot. <laughs> I put it up and offer it up. And if someone digs it, great, we build it. Past the point, if they don't, I'll use a, a sort of incognito Gmail address and I'll put it on Craigslist and party on sell it. Um, for example, though, that Hudson pickup, I absolutely love. Beautiful name, the Hudson Big Boy, with <laughs> some very unique uh, history behind that model that a lot of people don't know that I'm happy to share if you want to get into that. But recently, my wife's like, I want to keep that. Like, Really? When we get to build our ranch that I've designed that I've realized I can't afford my own taste, um, <laughs> we'll keep that. Pretty much stock, just dial it in and just put it around the local town. 
That thing looks like it's almost got a continental kit on the back. The uh, the weird the weird length of it with the uh, the sh- is that a shorter wheelbase than usual, or is it just that that truck is so damned long? It's just it's so damn streamlined, ah. and it, it, it that it pulls it off. But I mean, they look chopped and channeled from the factory. Yeah, but you know the the, the cool history to them that I, I discovered after buying it. Um, they, they, they took the Hudson Commodore, which was their highest in sedan, and they used most of the front clip and door and dash stampings and componentry because they wisely said, all right, you know, they studied the market and they're like, we're Hudson, we're small. There's no way in hell we're going to compete with Ford, Chevy, Dodge for a cheap farm truck. So let's not even try. Let's build the owner of the ranch's truck. Let's build the boss's <laughs> truck. So they didn't even go to their bottom in line. They went to their highest trim level model and took everything from that. And then the continuity in the pickup truck execution and all of those details is arguably what it is and so elegant. Like the glove box door balance to the instrument panel is so unique. It's almost sort of Raymond Lowy-esque, in my opinion, in the, in the symmetry and the balance. It was designed by a woman. So one of the first female designers in the industry. And I think that her sense of grace and continuity, her general perspective, translated into really an exceptional design. Is that a Bakelite? Uh, yes, uh, sir, it is. I'll be darned. The speedometer. It smells like dead fish if it sits in the sun too long. That's how you know it's really Bakelite. Nice. You know the history of Bakelite? Not really. <laughs> there was a petroleum. It was part of petroleum research. And they cooked a certain recipe. They had a petroleum and it turned in that hard crystalline product. And like, well, this ain't going to work. Oh, wait a minute. This could work for other things. And that was the birth of Bakelite. Radios and telephones. Yep. Yep. That's gorgeous. Icon also offers, in addition to all of the car builds and bespoke builds, you have tons of cool products uh, like watches and jackets and gear and parts available. And can you talk about how that came to be and uh, what some of your favorites are? Well, that's me off leash. (laughs) (laughs) so it's just things i love it's uh crafts and skill sets that i deep dive i've been lucky enough to travel around the world to study with master craftsmen in different trades be it woodworking wood turning be it ceramics be it constructive or deconstructive sculpting marble or clay be it pre-raphaelite painting and in recent years leather craft from traditional Western cowboy tooling through to um, French construction, Italian construction. I just took a class in Berkeley a couple of weeks ago studying from Nigel Armitage on he's the maker for the queen. So like traditional leather box making of all stupid. I'm not <laughs> stupid, but like niche of niche of niche. Uh-huh. So it's, it's really, I mean, my, my automotive brands started as hobbies and became career paths. So I'm launching actually, uh, I haven't really talked about it publicly yet, I'm, I'm launching a 
leather goods brand this fall. And uh, with Icon, I've released three limited edition leather jackets. And to be clear, I'm not like, this isn't merch. I'm not like hiring some dude in China and saying, okay, that pattern, uh, black leather, do this, do that. No, I've been studying from the LA Trade Tech apparel lead professor taking privates for a year, learning how to do master blocking, tailoring, and pattern making. My garage at home is overrun with leather tooling. So is one of my son's bedrooms who actually just broke up with his girlfriend and moved back in. So he's not too <laughs> pleased about that. We'll sort it out. Um, so no, these are, these are things that I have personally developed from the ground up. Um, even like the icon belts we do, like I hand make and burnish and crease every damn belt. The, the castings or the, the belt buckle are based on vintage Bronco and FJ rubber pedal pads for clutch and brake. But like I did the CAD work, I did the scan, I made the mold and like it's all from the mind of a singular lunatic for better words. <laughs> so basically it's a Renaissance fair from the year 2450. Got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sweet. By but the way, you know, it's some of those things like the new leather goods brand, like I'll design and develop and hand make 20, 30, 40, 50 of the first design. And like, eh, sometimes I sell them on Instagram, but usually I gift them to, to friends for birthdays or holidays or whatever. Get feedback, evolve it, evolve it, evolve it. Get it locked down to like, I'm really happy with it. And like, those are being manufactured in Italy. And my jackets, when they go into a production run, they're made in Italy or made in downtown LA by people that have the production efficiencies that I just yeah. don't. I mean, literally one bag hand stitched. Even if the design is already known and done, there's 50 hours in one bag. So there's just no <laughs> logical math. Line. So you sleep but every again, other like, Tuesday. Got it. But I, 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 I love traveling. So when I travel, I go visit factories. I go talk to people. I take classes. I mean, you know, like developed a network of resources that keep the quality I want at a price point that's viable for production. Yeah, nice. You are truly a Renaissance man. You're you've got your hands in everything. What would you want people to know about you that they don't already? I think that um, sometimes people will go, "Oh, I can't believe they're they're so expensive. That's ridiculous. I could build that for fifty grand." No, you can't. You just can't. And, you know, you got a buddy with a body shop. You've got the internet. You've got a friend who knows an upholster, etc. I can't count the times people have said, oh, hell with Icon. I'm going to do this myself. No problem. It ends up taking twice as long and generally ends up costing more. And the end result is not even close. Yeah, you don't have I mean, the fit or finish. Well, and, and like even to make our our, our – our Broncos, our FJs, our Thrift Masters, I mean, I personally invested over a million dollars in each first article to refine and nail that engineering. I'm still paying that off. <laughs> we amortize it over the production, but that's the only way you can take what is traditionally artsy, craftsy, mom and pop industry and, and up it and evolve it. And the other thing is um, charity. 
Uh, I'm on the board of a children's charity called Go Campaign that kicks ass. When I was younger, I, I worked with the March of Dimes for about 15 years until I realized how horribly inefficient and grotesque it actually is, like many large global charities. Literally a dime of every dollar actually makes it to the program. Yeah. And I, I became quite disheartened by that. And then uh, I discovered Scott Pfeiffer's program, Go Campaign, which is all about giving opportunity to children in the U.S. and abroad. But over 90 cents of every dollar donated to our charity makes it to the actual program. Nice. The 10 cents we take is because we have a group that we will basically we identify local heroes who are already doing something that is making an impact on kids in their community, and they must be of that community. So we're not going to come in and dig a well because that's what we do and find out you didn't want a well, you know? So we'll identify someone who's already making an impact. We bring them the grant money and the business acumen to be more efficient, scale their program, and become self-sustainable so they don't need to keep leaning on entities like Go Campaign to keep chucking money at them. And man, it's it's so fulfilling. We've had people go on to win Nobel prizes, to become CNN heroes, and on and on and on. And it's uh, a really cool program. In fact, we uh, just yesterday, uh, the good folks at Haggerty, uh, McKeel and his team, agreed to sponsor uh, a third annual event we're going to do for Go. June 10th, we do a cool uh, wine and food LA event, Santa Monica, and I curate a crazy auction from all my friends and various crafts and all unique stuff. No grandma skincare baskets, like super cool shit. <laughs> um, and then we have a big fancy pants gala in the fall. But now with the help of Haggerty, uh, I'm really excited. We're going to start doing an annual event that'll be around September. And it's, it's like, it's all makers. So it'll be a car show, bike show, boat show, combined with I'm curating and inviting everyone hyper-specifically, but furniture makers, woodworkers, cobblers, shoemakers, ceramicists, bakers, denim people, uh, you name it. Like all, all aspects of crafts, of crafts all mom and pop, all independent, all U.S. owned brands. And I'm really excited because I think not only visibility for Go and, you know, obviously we're going to hopefully raise some money from it, but just me personally, there is no such show because car guys appreciate craftsmanship, period. So the idea that there's a show pre-holiday shopping where you can go and like, I guarantee you if, <laughs> if people show up and they know 10% of the exhibitors and brands that are there, I'll be blown away. Like it's really going to be exciting discovery of unique, incredible makers and, and not like unobtainium rich dude stuff, like across the board from like the best oatmeal raisin cookies and pecan pies you've ever damn well had. <laughs> and then food trucks and a couple friends bands are coming live music. We're going to do it at the Haggerty uh, new garage facility in Van Nuys. And all of it's nice. for charity. <laughs> yes, sir. 
That sounds fantastic. We've been speaking with Jonathan Ward of Icon. Jonathan, please take a second. Tell us where we can find you online and on social media. Uh, it's pretty simple. The website's icon4x4.com. Um, same with uh, Facebook and Instagram. Frankly, Instagram's where all the fun stuff's going down because I do the appropriate brand stuff plus all of my side hustle proclivities and dives into different crafts and travel. Jonathan, thank you so much for being with us. Certainly. It's good to chat with you, cats again. Be well. What a great interview. And it's just the tip of the iceberg. You know, you, you go through his website and just the Icon 4x4 website. No, I just love the idea that he geeks out over everything. Oh, oh my God, the detail. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, it, and uh, I, 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 I like the idea that he's there and he's got ideas and he wants to uh he wants to muck with everything and that's what makes it cool is the fact that you know uh kind of like he mentioned a few times during the interview is that it it, it hasn't gone through committee it hasn't been no. mishmashed and voted down into something meh. Well, that's that's like when we see concept cars that, yeah that brands put out and everybody goes yeah do that and then by the time you get it it's the really watered down milk toast version of it and you're thinking, well, what happened to that really terrific concept you had a couple years ago? Where's the cool car that you showed us? Yeah, because yeah. this ain't it. And he uh, he just goes, no, concept car, done. Yeah, I love yeah, it. I dig it. Absolutely the coolest stuff out there. Thank you so much for spending time with Driven Radio. We love what we do, and we wouldn't be able to do it without the support of our listeners. You can find us online at DrivenRadioShow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at DrivenRadioShow.com. And on LinkedIn, we are the Driven Radio Show podcast. You can also find us anywhere fine podcasts are heard. I am Brett Hatfield for Mark L. Groves. Yo. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time here on Driven Radio. Thank you.